0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle.
2: Welcome to another episode of Two Slips in a Gully. I am joined by both of my co-hosts today. How are you doing, Gary? I'm good, mate. Yourself? I am excellent. We are here. We've had the week off to go and enjoy some some test cricket and holiday a bit before the school holidays finished, and I'm ready to go. How about you, Glenn? You missed last week. How's uh, how's your 2022 treating you? Yeah, That's it's going cool. pretty well. Yeah, new job, but uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Nice, nice. So, and you've it's uh, you teach. Music. So you've got a – is that a new school you're heading out to? Is that what's your mm, –
0: Yeah, yeah. Just a, – well, a different town. Different town. I'm just going across the border to Orange. <laughs> you're expanding your clientele base. i tell you what you think. The way um, – People in Bathurst talk about people in orange. You would, would think it's a different state. <laughs> it is a different state. <laughs> There's a lot of
2: rivalry there. <laughs> Absolutely, there is. Um, so uh, we've got quite the cricket smorgasbord to talk about. We'll obviously be talking about that phenomenal women's ashes test. Yeah, uh, great. Our uh, Big Bash season has wrapped up, and so we'll get into, have a chat about that. Uh, plenty of cricket on the table. And Glenn, I think that uh, you just were... You wanting to offer us your know, two cents in regards to the Ashes. You missed our yeah, Ashes I mean, Wrap yeah. episode.
0: I mean, it, it was a long time ago now, um, but, you know, we, we have our break. So, uh, yeah, but um, I did want to talk about the possibility that maybe uh, Jimmy Anderson, uh, as much as I'd hate to admit it, kind of conquered Australia, the Australian soils. Oh, that's, um, that's a big call. Well... Um, I've pulled up his stats. Well, you know, someone did before, um, <laughs> and uh, he's, he he averaged at twenty three. He now averages better in Australia for the Ashes than he does in England.
2: Yeah. Well, that's a really surprising stat when you really think. When you think about how good James Anderson is in England, he's he averages yeah. over thirty five in the um,
0: Ashes.
2: In the Ashes, including you know, you'd think he'd just run right through us over in England and. Uh, he just, yeah, he does it. Stuart Broad is the is the big chief destroyer of Australia when we go over to, to play the Ashes of England. And, and sort of James, An- I know James An- has taken a couple of really good uh, spells against us over there, but he just never really seems to really trouble us as much as uh, a player with his reputation would. I'm, I would have to disagree with you about uh, conquering Australian soils because while his average of 23 looks very impressive, mm. he only ended up taking the eight wickets across the games that he played. And I think um, yeah, that's always been the big thing about uh, Anderson abroad, particularly in Australia, is it always going to bowl well enough to trouble batsmen? It's can they get through them though? And that's always been Anderson's big chink here is he just doesn't do enough once the ball stops swinging in Australia. So, mm. and and he bowled a phenomenal spell. I've never seen James James Anderson bowl better in the Ashes than that spell in uh, at Melbourne, where the the pitch was was seaming around everywhere. Yeah, but he only so he took what five for forty odd or something in that. He yeah. only took three more wickets in the rest of the innings that he played combined. So hmm. while yeah, his average I mean, was you could, good, you could argue his that. economy was good. He didn't go for many runs, but uh, I still think yeah. that's the big problem is. Once the ball stops swinging, once the ball stops seeming, once it gets soft, how does James Anderson Hmm. contribute to a bowling attack in Australian soils? And and he still hasn't answered that question yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could argue that um, the pressure was let off by lesser bowlers. Um, If you had four James Andersons, or with the rotation policy, maybe (laughs) eight James Andersons, it would have been a very different series. Um, you know he's uh, you know eight wickets at an average of twenty three um economy rate below two uh who are you gonna score off uh so you know you could argue that it would have been a very different series if they had
2: if, but, but, if, if
0: not but, but eight, if not eight james Andersons, let's say. Three James Anderson quality players
2: by, and a decent by, by the extension of that logic is you're going to have three players that once the ball stops swinging, they're going to be fairly pedestrian, which is what happened. I think if you go back through and look at those stats, James Anderson was very ineffectual in the third and fourth innings of those games, which has been his problem over the last couple of years, not just abroad but in England as well. Mm. So, so yes, it's, it was really good to see Anderson come out and, and bowl with class. Well, we, not really seen.
0: because now we have to listen to people going, oh, well, you know, he's proved that he can bowl. <laughs> I in don't, well, who, and I, now now I am one of those
2: people. His team lost 4-0 and he only took eight wickets. Yeah. So, like, you can sit there and go, "We only he averaged, you know, 23 runs. That's why you know statistics certain statistics aren't the whole story so mm-hmm. yes you look at that in 10 years time look back and go oh Anderson only averaged 23 in Australia for that uh, that 20 20- yeah, yeah 21, 22 series. That's pretty good considering what he's so, done before. I mean, the, the but good then you thing go into, you know, he's a young man and he's he's learning. And
0: uh, <laughs> next time he comes, he'll, he'll have a lot more experience.
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> I'd be very surprised if we ever saw him, him on Australia. So he's talking. Really, he's talking like he's, he's going to
2: keep playing yeah. into his forties. If, if England are serious, they like, can't possibly bring him back here again. they have surely got to go down a different. They path. They said
1: that last time. Mm. Oh, it, it, you know, it'll be his last series in Australia. He won't come back. He, you know, he's getting he sort of Even,
2: if, he, he, the even
0: if he's fit enough to come back, I don't see how strategically you can bring him back. I, I don't think he's going to give up, though. I, I think it's going to have to be a case of um, he just gets repeated injuries because the guy is just not... <laughs> he, he doesn't seem mentally, when you see him interviewed, like he is tired of it or mentally over... No, test cricket. He doesn't. he, he yeah. wants to keep going as been, long as his body will.
2: It, it is his truly elite skill is staying healthy and that passion. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a... I know Gary's laughing, but I don't mean that in a derogatory way. But uh, fast bowling is a hard gig and, and that yeah. is his elite skill. I mean, you look at Dale Stane. Dale Stane is a far more dangerous bowler, but but uh, availability is the best ability, and Dale Stain's body gave out on him after however many tests, and he yeah, ended up with four. Dale, Dale with...
1: Stain was fast. Yeah. Anderson's, you know, medium.
2: Yeah, that's what I mean, but Anderson's still playing <laughs> and yeah, yeah, taking exactly. wickets. So, like, he's a. He, he's like the guy who always shows
0: up to work on time but cruises the whole time. Yeah,
2: yeah. We, we, all, all, run, we all know one of those. Rather than doing like his work. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, like, and that is, that is a, a skill that can't be ignored is he's able to keep his body in the right shape to bowl long spells because he does he gets given you know long spells to bowl. Um but he's, he's, I just I don't see him adding any more strings to his bow in the next four years if he is fit enough to, to make a difference. He's, so he's still, England still, needs to look in a different direction for the he, next he's tour. still got the fire in the belly, I reckon he uh, you know. yeah, fire, fire in the belly is one thing. Like I'm sure he's willing to come back but from a if I'm the director of English cricket I'm looking at it going, all right, how are we going to beat Australia? And uh, what would he be 43-year-old, 120-kilometer-per-hour swing bowler? Hmm. Well, it's probably that not, the way to, not the way that to that do that it anymore. I've weirder things. So I'll have to put him in a straitjacket and say, sorry, Jimmy, you're not selected. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we move on, Glenn, yeah. is there anything else that you any insights you want to offer to our audience before we, uh, we put the 21-22 Ashes to bed and move on to... Other things?
0: I just think that England's selections throughout, and it's probably been covered many times everywhere else, they that, that yeah. were just really weird. I, I don't think they ever got the 11 that they should have.
1: No. In one single test. I think they drew it all out of a hat. <laughs> oh, That's I, no, the I, only I, way you can describe it. Our, um,
2: we had uh, another friend of ours from work who's also named Aaron on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was our 99th episode. Yeah. And he... he Summed it up really great. It was and it was paralysis by analysis. I think England mm. had come up with a plan with how they expected the pitches to play five months ago. We expect yeah. this is how what we expect the pitches to be like in Australia, and they thought, well, the Gabba was uh, flat. England, uh, India beat them there before. Uh, not a lot really offered for the bowlers, so let's put Broad and Anderson on ice for that one, and let's just try and bat long, and we'll get out with the get out of the Gabba with a draw. We'll put mm. Anderson abroad on ice, we'll or bring him back for the pink ball game because you know Australia knocked over India for 36. If we get Anderson abroad out with a pink ball, with a shaky Australian batting lineup because they got holes here, here, and here, we could roll the Aussies. And so we get out of the gabba with a draw. We go to Adelaide. We put all go all in at Adelaide and uh, come out of that. We could be one 0 at the end, and then just move on from there. But when they got to the gabba, it was overcast. It mm. was the greenest Gabba deck that I've seen in yeah, ages. Yeah, exactly. We played into their hands. And that's the point where they should have gone, that scrap plan A, let's yeah. pick Anderson abroad, and um, win the toss, right. bowl first, go hard now, and we try we, and knock the Aussies over early. We gave them their pitch. Yeah, yeah it was like, the most friendly bowling conditions I've seen given up for, well, especially seam and swing bowlers, ever in hmm. my entire life watching cricket in Australia. I've, I don't think I've ever seen greener, Semia pitches. I don't think "seamier" is a word, but I'm going to use it because <laughs> greener, semi-er. Um yeah. Like that, that was the most bowler-friendly conditions, the most English conditions Australia's put up in my lifetime. Except maybe in Hobart, like that. That yeah. was
0: so green. Yeah, Hobart's, <laughs> like, Hobart's usually. Like, yeah, Hobart. That I, I'm was, pretty
2: sure that was par of the course. I'm pretty sure
0: someone just picked up Tasmania and like took a chunk off England and just put it down at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just the same. It's the same landscape. But
2: yeah, I think that's that's it with their selections. That they've just assumed they've gone from because the Broad played Adelaide and that's probably the pitch that suited Broad the least. And then he didn't play in Melbourne. And yeah. Brisbane and Melbourne would have been the two pictures no, that was, he would have rolled us in, and they, they missed out on. So no, I think they totally
0: overthought it, and and like this whole resting policy. Oh, that no, um, that irritates me. It's just like, well, no. The, the the thing is, selectors use rest, and we do it too. They use the oh, he needed a rest. As a really soft way to drop someone, yeah. And I think I'd much prefer.
2: I don't think England are, England are that insidious. I think they've they've fully dove into this resting, rotating bowlers thing. That's a
0: yeah.
2: I don't think it's a oh, we want to drop you, but we're not brave enough to say it, so you're being rested. I think that they've they've bought into this this rotation policy and. So mm. I don't think it's as insidious as to being too gutless to drop players. I think that it's just something they've gotten really wrong. Like, mm. the, yeah. the two pitches where they should have played their absolute premium seam swing attack were Brisbane and, yeah. and Melbourne, and they're the ones where they missed out. And uh, so- I, I suppose uh, you could
0: argue that the resting policy gave us Scotty Boland as well. Wow. There's <laughs> well, it, 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 it only, you know. No. It, it didn't, but okay. It, no. It looks good when it works. It, it, <laughs>
1: The whole thing is just, just, oh, just it just irritates me. If, if, as a captain, you want your best twelve, that's what you want. I don't mm. give two craps if that guy's oh, you know, he's got a bit of a niggle. Harden up! This is ashes. This is cricket.
2: Yeah. Live with it. Yeah, hundred mm. um, percent. And I think that's, I think that's what it was. I just think that they put these plans in place expecting the Gabba to be a bit flat, like we were at in India. Um, Adelaide to just be seeming all over the place at night time. Melbourne to be a bit low and slow, as we've known Melbourne to be for the last sort of half decade. It's sort of been a bit, you know, dull and lifeless. Same with Sydney, you know, maybe the, the reputation of it turning a bit later on. And then, you know, at that point, when they made these plans, they wouldn't have known whether it was going to be Perth or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But I think that was it. They just had these formulated plans how we're going to go about things and then just didn't have the the, the fortitude to look up and go, Okay, we've got to throw this. We've got to pl- throw this playbook out. This is the conditions aren't uh, are playing into our hands. They they weren't adaptive to the conditions in front of, them, which is why mm. we got you know the, the pitch where and it, um their spinner uh, Jack Leach copped it because there's no way in the world he should have played at the Gabba at all. Mm. And Labashane and Co went after him, ruined his confidence for the whole series, and it ruined Joe Root's confidence in him when. They should have been bringing well, him on attacking before to, breaks. To and they be fair, to... like that, I mean, that was probably
0: one of the most inspiring things from England, the fact that Jack Leach managed to turn that around. Like he gradually yeah. got himself into the series. Um, I mean, like you can't you can't, um, can't criticise his fortitude. You can oh, crit- he's a tough you, cricketer, don't get yeah. me wrong,
2: but like he should never have been put in that position because he was never going to achieve. Like Stuart Broad 100% would have been... Like you would have played five quicks and no spinner at the Gabba, and mm. probably Melbourne as well. Yeah. Um, but they went with Jack Leach instead, and he got hit for what eleven runs and over for the first part of his thing. Picked up mm. a, a random wicket with Labuschagne going too hard. He and got from a lot then better. Like from this, like I mean, you could only get better to be fair. True. But the, <laughs> the big problem is, is Joe Root felt he had to buy time to get him into the game, so rather mm. than coming in leading into a break. And really going after the Aussies and attacking and setting attacking fields, he'd come on and immediately they'd have on the fence, yeah. long on, yeah. long off back, a deep point, and to try and yeah, buy they, time. They went,
0: they went back to that kind of old adage as that uh, as a spinner, when you first come on your your first job is to stay on.
2: And, um, and, and just sort of and it was it just was a microcosm of the, the attitude to English cricket at that point because they were on the back foot the whole time. Joe Root was scrambling for answers, didn't feel they could really ever take the initiative, and whenever they did take the initiative, they'd do all right, and another part of their game would fall down. So they have a really great bowling day. at Melbourne, uh, I think they knocked over the Aussies nine for 200 on that second day, and then they lost four for nothing at the end.
0: I don't think you can overstate how terrible they were in the field as well. Like, oh, their fielding and their catching made their bowling look worse than, oh. than what it was. Um, oh, like, a couple of those catches that went down could have really, really Yeah, well, they, really they, they
2: beat the bat a bunch of times for no yeah. reward. And then then you look at Labashay and he went and scored his 100 in that series and he was dropped four or five times. And it's just yeah. how much of a different series was if they just got their fundamental skills right and their selections right. Could you imagine mm-hmm. instead of Leach, you know, just letting the pressure off at one end – Short sure. yeah. broad comes on to nip that ball around corners. Yeah. You imagine they take Labuschagne's catch in Adelaide and he doesn't go on to score that hundred. So
0: yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's one thing to to make mistakes out on the field. It's hot, you know. You, it's a physical game. You really don't get that much time to think as a captain, as we all know. Having captain, like it looks like you've got heaps of time, but you know, there's so much going on that. Yeah, you can understand those those mistakes, but you can't understand you know, experienced English cricketers sitting in an air-conditioned room thinking about which team would be best to play the, the game and they still get it wrong mm. every time. It's the, like,
1: the, if the answer's not the best team we can put together,
0: yeah. they're wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's simple. <laughs> it's just staggering. Like, drop catches happen. Um, poor tactics happen. Um, you know, hopefully you learn
2: from it, but you know the heat of the moment you can understand it
0: Yeah.
2: look yeah. At, at the end of the day that english team is not going to amount to too much if extras are going to be their third leading run scorer for a year <laughs> okay. so until they fix that we can talk all we want about bolt like the you know batting or bowling strategies and poor fielding but if you don't yeah. if they're not going to put runs on the board there's there's no amount of you know, fielding pressure and selections mm-hmm. and right bowling plans that will work if they're only defending 200 all the time. Yeah. Anyway, England has been bashed, but it is fun. <laughs> and we
0: were totally right. We we both predicted 4-0, right? Yeah, I think we did. We
2: all, we did. I think so, yeah. I, th- I think you predicted actually a few wins to England. We'll have to go back and check the, the archives. I think we check did 4-0, but I think you may have done... I think I, I three two been, or three yeah, one. Three, maybe three one, yeah. with a drawing. You know, well, after the break, we will have a chat about an English team that isn't a laughing stock. <laughs> Got Patrick's Patrick ball, beautifully bowled. Segwaying from the men's ashes, we're talking about the the women's ashes now. So, uh, for those of you who are unaware, the women's ashes aren't a five-test match series. They play a multi-format series. So they started off the series with three T20s, uh, the test match in the middle and then three1 days at the end and they're weighted on points. So the limited overs games are worth two points for a win and the test is worth four points for the win. Uh, so it started off really well for Australia. Um, well not really well. I thought England played uh, battered really well in their first T20, their first knock of the T20. Uh, I thought they, I think it was, ended up being the fifth largest run chase that Australia would have had to, if they chased it down, it would have been their fifth most ever. So it was a quite an imposing total. Uh, I thought England played very well. I thought they attacked well. It wasn't until and McGrath came on uh, near the end and knocked over a couple of the batsmen with some searing Yorkers that sort of evened the scales a bit, but then um, they just came out and Seventeen overs, got it at a canter, one wicket down, and it looked very much like, oh wow, this could be another yeah whitewash, another yeah. another whitewash. Uh, Australia looking very much in form. Uh, Meg Lanning was very good with the bat. Uh, Talia McGrath, again announced herself as a, a legitimate uh, cricket superstar with uh, not only with a three for twenty odd, but also. 90 not out batting at three, first time batting at three for Australia, and and got them home with some yeah, really strong hitting. 91 or 49 balls mm. was an incredible cracker. knock. It's a cracker. Uh, I actually had just a, a a little bit of a dig. It didn't end up me amounting to anything because the next two T20s were washed out. Yeah. But um, I found it really disrespectful that an international whim, an international Ashes fixture had to take the, the uh, you know, they were opening for a domestic T20 match. Yeah. So the women's game, the women's <laughs> Ashes game, which also was also a T20, was the curtain raiser for a domestic. So the TV, <laughs> the TV schedule had them playing in the middle of the day, so at 2 o'clock in the afternoon start. So we could have the Big Bash on at 7.30 at night for the, both of their games. So both the games, two and three, which ended up being washed out, so it's neither here or there at the end of the day. But I think that if you're really going to be honest about giving the girls equality, there is no way in the world that a WBBL game would, would be ahead of a men international men's T20. Mm. No. So why would it be the other way around? If it's, a deme- like if it's an international game, it's an Ashes fixture, so it's yeah. not even a, 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 you know, like this is serious stuff, it's the Ashes, that should get top billing.
1: Oh, damn, yeah, regardless yeah. I, of, I
2: actually agree with you. Yeah. Um, and that should have got the seven thirty night game. I don't know whether or not that meant they might have got on had they. I doubt it. I, it, was it was pretty, pretty wet. <laughs> pretty wet out in Adelaide at that point, but I just think, you know, it's really just have it the other way around. You, yeah, just yeah. Flip B- it. BBL first. I mean, the BBL was doing daytime games to try and catch up all. Yeah, all through this thing, we'll get on. We'll get onto the issues that the BBL had, but there, it would have been nothing for the BBL to like. No one's going anyway. The crowd numbers this year were deplorable. Mm. The TV rate uh, numbers were uh, sliding down. It, it, it's not really that much out of pocket for two days out of the 700 that the BBL's on that just, their I their, their night game is an afternoon game to really sort of just show that sort of solidarity with women's going, you're the international game, you're the, the Ashes fixture you're getting top billing. So I think that um, that's something that Cricket Australia should really work on in their scheduling moving forward. That if, if they, and if they're not willing to, do what they, they've done before in the men's games when men's international one days or T20s clash with the Big Bash and the Big Bash will take the night off. Hmm. Uh, so oh, we, do, we don't need a night off from the BBL, do we? <laughs> 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 oh, my we'll, goodness. We'll, we'll, talk, oh. we'll talk about that shortly. Uh so moving forward, we come to the test match, which was the, the, the middle fixture. And this was a – I've had some issues with the way that they run the tests. I still think there should be two tests, and I think they should bookend the series. They should start and finish with a test match because far too often, and we saw it in the, uh, the Indian game earlier, or uh, it was November last year, yeah. uh, that you know India found themselves in a bit of a hole after the, the first lot of one-day international fixtures. And they needed to make sure they didn't lose the test. Otherwise, they would have been out of the the series good because points. It, well, yeah. the, the points would have been too far away to the other way. So India batted very, very long and immediately they had to play well. Australia is a very good outfit and they managed to bat well enough to keep Australia in the field that whole time. And there were rain delays and things like that. So Australia still got to do the job and get them out. But I felt that India weren't too assertive because they were looking to get themselves into a position they couldn't lose and in doing so gave up being in a position where they could really win. Yeah. And I, I was worried that this game was going to turn out this way. And I feel that if you have a, a, the game's bookended, starting the, the series fresh, there's no other points running through your head. You can just go out in there and go, bang, let's get a win and see what happens. And if you lose that game, you know then, okay, well, it's four. It's already 4-0. We've got to make up some ground with the, the short form and we do have that test match. At the back end of the series to to catch up, so yeah, you get a chance to sort of really get in a series and you know bounce back from a poor game in the first test. Uh, but that wasn't so much the case. It was a very lively wicket. Uh, both teams played very well with the ball and and uh, mostly in some parts with the bat. Uh, so it ended up being quite an exciting fixture, despite the fact that we had a whole almost a whole day lost to rain. So I'm quite happy that it turned out to be. Um, I just, an exciting, almost like it was an exciting draw as opposed to a, a drawn-out Oh, draw. It was a very exciting finish. But why why
1: do the girls only play four days?
2: Well, They, they play just, 100 overs in a day, so it ends up being mm. roughly the same amount of overs as the men's because the men only have to play 90 in a day. And if, if
0: they are going to make it just four days, why not have, like, if it's rained out, my, my, why not have a reserve day or just have five days? Well, just, I think they should just, just
2: make have
1: it. Five days, 90 overs a day, same as the men's. In the yeah.
2: last, oh, the thing is they'll probably finish too quick because the girls typically have some, their over eight too quickly. Some, so, like, their 90 overs will. Is that because they don't change their gloves every three overs? And, well, <laughs> and their run-ups aren't as long and, you know, they end up and, bowling more spin than. Yeah, yeah,
0: and, and they don't have a drink every. 35 <laughs> seconds. Every 35 seconds. Oh, my gosh. Well, but I, every referral now is a drinks break with the guys. What, a, <laughs> what, I th- what I think though is, like, if you've got
1: someone outside looking in at this, and they watched a,
2: a game of yeah, if the you watch Ashes if you the watch the men's. the, the, the day night test in Hobart, and are then you, you watch this, why why is, why is it a draw? Why aren't they playing an extra day? Yeah, what's yeah. What, what's well, what's statistically you, speaking. For the – going off the last, I think it's about 10, 15 years of women's test matches, going off the average strike rate of bowlers, it would take them 4.83 days to take 40 wickets. Yeah, well – So that's – you have to – like, that's why most games end up in a draw. We did already talk about this, yeah. The reason why most of these games end up in a draw is because, statistically speaking, they're not taking wickets fast enough to take all 40. So you're relying on um, declarations and things like that to to put yourself in a well, position if, where if it can... wasn't
1: for Australia's declaration, it would have been a draw.
2: Yeah. It still was a draw, but... It would, it would have been oh, a... man, what a, a draw. It was a bland draw. There would have been no chance of a result. It is... Yeah, it is a bit staggering, isn't it? I, yeah. I mean, is it an issue of... Uh...
0: Durability, like oh, you can't, mean, can't, I'm not sure that you're allowed to say that. But well, well, I know, I, mean, you, I know what you mean. Like for, uh, for, for instance, they don't play five tests, uh, five sets in a in a tennis match in a Grand Slam. Um, well, is sure. there some sort of sports scientific? No idea. I think maybe I'm, that's I'm just... treading. I'm treading
2: dangerous. No, ground no um, I'm, but, well, I'm, yeah. There's an article that came out where there there, there is too much. Putting women in cotton wool when it comes to critiquing their sports events, and Elise Perry came out referencing this, going, "This is like how we want to be treated. We don't want to be treated with cotton wool. If we're terrible, tell us we're terrible. If we're not terrible, don't treat us any differently than you would the men." So I don't think anything here is overly critical of yeah. how the women played. So, but I think that's a point. You need to start stopping. You need to stop sort of just pretending that everything is perfect because we want to be socially correct about the women's game. Mm. Like, there are things there that weren't correct. I don't think Meg Lanning was anywhere near attacking enough in her fields later on. I think she let momentum slip um, at various points. Like, Mm. if it was um, Pat Cummins or Tim Payne or Joe Root, they would have been... Crucified. They would have been talked about being very poor in the field with their their selections. Mm. But the difference being is they don't play a lot of first-class cricket. Yeah, and so it's it's hard to just expect them to then go. This is to know to pull, all to, the nuances of to, the long yeah, game. Yeah, to pull all the right strings and do yeah. that when, like, mm. they're not, they're talking about Australia won't get another Test match until potentially the next Ashes tour. Yeah, which is ridiculous. That's oh, yeah,
1: mm. it'll make me cry. <laughs> it's
0: crazy. I just sat at home the other I, night, watched some on YouTube because
1: I mm. missed it already.
2: Yeah,
0: on um, the on the positive side, though. I would like to say that in the situation that England were presented with, with uh, Meg Lanning's declaration, yeah. chase down 250 odd. In 48 in overs. In 48 overs. The men wouldn't have got, tried. No, the, absolutely. Eng, the English men, definitely not. I'm not even sure that the Australian men would
1: have I don't, gone for I don't think target. they would. I don't think many teams would.
0: Yeah. But the gust, five, the gust five, Yeah,
2: five and over in a test match for 50 overs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like on a, on a last day
0: Fourth day pitch. <laughs> but um,
2: the gusto
1: that they showed, oh, man, it was so and, good. And work. they had it
2: they had it in hand for ages, and yep. then there was a really stunning <laughs> fight back. How about Beth Moody playing with, what, three plates in a yeah, jaw, wide jaw. shut? She took some amazing catches out in the outfield. Yeah, Rolled, she, you know, she batted depth. well and...
0: Yeah, batted oh, was, really well in the second oh. innings.
2: It was, um, and we can't. We've got to talk about Heather Knight. Heather Knight was phenomenal. Oh yeah, she was a, a, every bit as much as making this game as close as it was as Meg Lanning's declaration because they were looking like being a hundred plus runs behind. Yeah, and then that late partnership between her and Sophie Eccleson really chipped into Australia's lead and to the time in the game as well. Um, she was phenomenal. Uh, Catherine Brunt um, bowled incredibly well. Like it was mm. a it was. Fantastic to see so many uh, skill sets.
1: Alana King st- was a standout for me. Was, yeah, on debut like 18? as well. think 18? She's eighteen. 18? Yeah, she's young. Oh yeah, but she um she had that glint in her eye that she she oh she wanted to ruin
2: someone's day. She was fantastic. really well, really well. She's going to be. Um, she's twenty six, but anyway. Um and Tali McGrath again, a couple of really important knocks. Uh had some front foot no ball issues in the game, but again, like, she's just looking like doesn't matter what it is, so long as it's a cricket field and she's got a ball or a bat in her hand, doesn't matter if it's test matches, one day is T20, she'll find a way to contribute, so um, she's going to be, yeah, she's going to be fantastic. Um, it's a fantastic advert, not only for uh, women's cricket, but cricket in general. Oh, yeah. Um, it was... You know, everyone goes, "Oh, why would you know? Why would you have play a game where you could play for X amount of days and it ends in a draw?" And I've seen, I've seen games resulted in in many sports that were nowhere near as exciting as the finish to that game. Oh, yeah. so that's that's the part where you sit there and go, "The draw is a legitimate result because oh, yeah. um, it took a lot of gusto from both teams to to turn that into a draw. But quite easily, England could have walked that in." Um, won a very famous test victory, but Australia fought with tooth and nail to get back into the game to the point where England then finally had to yield and go, um, yeah, this is this is a bridge too far. We cannot risk losing this game. If we lose this game, we'll lose the Ashes. So they yeah, discretion yeah. is a better part of valour, and they live on to now try and knock over the Aussies in the one day, as which will be kicking off very soon. So well, they, they shut up shop with three overs to go. They, they shut up shop two, when sorry, um, was two.
1: when they were nine down. So yeah, when when Charlie Deanwood got out, that was that was the forty or well, the last ball of the forty fifth over. Hmm. So that's two overs.
2: They just oh, I I feel nah. and I, and I will be critical. Of Lanning's captaincy here, the same way I'm critical of Pat Cummins' captaincy, but I think someone told me that I Sydney. in Sydney where yeah. he couldn't use quick bowlers at the death because I was like, I get that Smith yeah. just took that wicket, but why is Cummins not bowling at James Anderson? No. Was um, apparently, that I didn't realise because I was watching it. The uh, the local dribblet, yeah, drinking emporium, and the volume was down on the TV. <laughs> the local <laughs> dribbling emporium. <laughs> that's a few drinks in. That was, yeah, that's after a few drinks. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I think I feel that um, she should have gone to Elise Perry or Darcy Brown or someone to. Play yeah, back, that last was, over was, against their the number eleven, who looked like a genuine number eleven. She looked oh, yeah. like she was just, "That's it, I'm, okay. I, I'm having no part of this. It's just dead batting everything." And I just think that extra pace would have been like if you're a number eleven and you just want to block everything. You want spin on a wicket that's not really biting. Like it was a bit there, but it was nothing. It wasn't wasn't enough to make you go, wow. Well, yeah, she wasn't turning red corners. Um, you'd rather have that because it's slow through the air and you can really spend your time judging whether or not you have to play it or leave it, whereas you've just got a bit of extra pace. You never know, pace does funny things to yeah. to, to batsmen or batters, I should say. So, um, mm. yeah, I feel that that was probably a misstep. Um, and if there was no light issues, it would have been a misstep from Pat Cummins as well not to take that final over. So. But, again, that's why I think that they should be playing more tests. I think every time you have a multi-format series, it should be bookended by tests because either they end of the day, too, we want to be giving young girls every opportunity to wear the baggy green. Oh. We're, we're making the baggy green out to be this iconic thing, and it is. It's, it's iconic of the Australian sporting landscape. Mm. And at the moment, you could be you know a set of twins, mm. Annabelle Sutherland and Will Sutherland. If they both make the Australian team in the same year, both get the baggy green um, for the same year, Will Sutherland will, play, will have the opportunity to play 10 times as many Test matches oh, as, yeah. and then some, as Annabelle will, easily. Yeah. Like the yeah, did, 2027, six, seven, I think, is the next time that we could have... Because yeah. um, yeah, I know 2024, yeah. 25, I think, or 25, 26, so we'll play an Ashes Test over in England, yeah. and then the next following Ashes Tour over here, which would be, what, a year and a half after that, so that's 23, so... Yeah, 24-25. It's too far away, Aaron. That's, that's ridiculous. And <clears> uh, I think that's something that the ICC needs to be looking at as well because we've got South Africa and the West Indies and New Zealand, I think, are the teams coming over to play in Australia over the next two summers. Oh, well. Maybe, I think there might be another one. But they you know, they're, might, they're all, they've all played test cricket. They're all fairly strong in the one-day international and T20 tournaments. Why are we not... Forcing more of these teams to be playing more first-class cricket yeah. at an international level. I mean, I mean, we're us in England are two of the best teams for, in terms of women's domestic cricket, and we're not even playing a, a super-established first-class competition. Yeah. So I, I think that's a step that, um, if women's tests are something that want to be around for the long haul, they need to get more teams playing them.
1: Well, on a, on a lighter note. The only husband and wife team to wear a baggy green. Never really thought about
2: it until I was actually watching the test.
1: I'm like, that's really cool.
2: Mitchell Stark and Alyssa Healy. Yeah. He that was is... there. He was there at the end looking rather stressed. Oh, he looked really stressed. Mm. And, and on a lot I don't know, before we move on to talking about the big bash, have you heard that um, Shane Warne has now denounced the legitimacy of um, the Allen Border Medal? <laughs> Thinks that it's just the participation award and no uh, one decent's ever won it. I don't, I did you make that up? I, I did make I that it up. Yet. <laughs> no, I was just uh, a big congratulations to Mitchell Stark after. Like, let's face it, we were very critical of him over his his last year. I never which... stopped believing in him. Uh, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find I was the one that never stopped believing. You had him thrown out already. I did. I um I acknowledged that he was well below par, but yeah. he should be given every opportunity to come back. But it, and he did. He struggled. He struggled mightily, and I think anyone who's even the most ardent Stark supporters would be going, yeah, he's that Indian series and and leading up to that. He wasn't very good. But uh, I think that's reward for a lot of hard work, um, you know, letting a lot of money go. He's stayed out of the IPL for uh, quite a few editions of it now, trying to get fit, trying to work on his game, trying to make sure that he's the best player that he can be for Australia, playing in the winter tours where yeah. Warner and Smith and Cummins, et cetera, and Maxwell and all those guys – you know, exited stage left to go and play in the IPL and et cetera. Um, you know, other than the World Cup final, he did have a, a pretty solid World Cup in conditions that didn't really suit him. And then was one arguably one of our best for, oh. the, for the, the, the test matches. So I think. The best that,
1: first ball of a test match I've probably ever seen.
0: So <laughs>
2: Except world, maybe
0: Armisen.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so well done to Starkey uh, for winning that. And I love that the internet collectively rather than congratulating Mitchell Stark, everyone's comment after seeing Mitchell Stark win it has all been slagging off Slag Shane on, yeah. um, It is just wonderful to see those <laughs> rare moments when the internet unites... Yeah. perfectly and everything meshes and you feel that everything's right in the world and we could cure world hunger and <laughs> cancer and all these things because the internet is just unified on one thing and it's just sticking it into Shane Warne <laughs> because he's been slagging off slar- Stark all summer and at the end of the day, the end of their careers, it'll say Alan Vorder medals. Mitchell Stark won. Shane Warne zip. Him, knocked
1: him over. The pressure was too much.
2: Alright, moving on. Big Bash, the 11th edition of the Big Bash has wrapped up and it was, I think it was a bit of mixed bag, to be honest. Uh, there was some quite enthralling cricket play. There was quite some ordinary cricket played. And then, of course, it's another series where the Big Bash organisers just couldn't help but get in their own way. Mm. Uh, I think that, yeah, there was, it's just... Uh, just one of those ones. I think this is a really watershed moment for the Big Bash this season. I think they've really got to look long and hard about how they're doing things moving forward. But let's start with uh, with positives. So the Scorchers have become the winningest franchise in Big Bash history with their fourth title, knocking over uh, the Sydney Six. I'm not going to say Sixers because that would imply their whole team was there. That <laughs> uh, was yep. a very injury-ravaged and COVID-ravaged Sixers side. Uh, I thought at four for 25, it was odds-on to be a Cinderella story for the ages, but it wasn't yeah. to be. Mm. Uh, Laurie Evans and uh, Ashton Agar really got that team and out of trouble. The scorch just bad. It's so deep. Like,
0: you're no. like, oh, yeah, good. We got Curtis Patterson. We just got we got Josh Inglis out. We got Mitch Marsh out. I'm not sure who was at four, but then you've got Laurie Evans and Ashton Turner. Yeah, they just kept going.
2: What was great about that is they were positive from the get go, but they were also immense between the wickets. Like the amount mm. of ones they turned into twos, the amount of. Uh ones that shouldn't have been ones that they managed to sneak through and that's just sort of the momentum slowly started to shift and then of course they're both fantastic strikers of the ball, so they they get that four ball and then all of a sudden you're looking down and they're going, Okay, well I've gone for yeah. five runs off the all right now it's nine. If you're
0: showing a kid how to build a, a yeah, T twenty innings.
2: Yeah, those Laurie Evans's innings
0: was picture yeah, perfect. Especially in the middle order, which is always a rebuild. All right. Like Yeah, they just Yeah. But well, what about that like Like, the whole innings was good, but what about that shot over extra cover? The sixth,
2: yeah. uh, The Laurie Evans one, yeah, that was awesome. That That was a video game. Incredible.
0: And the the camera work as well. I've got to credit the camera work because the guy was sitting, you know, sort of deep, wide, mid-off, and he just nailed it. Like, even the sound off the bat, just crap. And it was all timing. He didn't even really follow through that much. No, it was was a
2: fantastic shot. Mm. Uh, Moving... uh, Elsewhere, so it was there was a lot of records broken. Um Glenn Maxwell broke the record for the highest individual innings with a hundred and fifty not out, and Mm -hmm. that was some absolutely devastating hitting in that game. I'm pretty sure me and you were recording at that point. Yeah, we we were stopped
1: the recording. To to watch some highlights of it. It was was outrageous. outrageous.
2: Um Ben McDermott became the leading century getter for a for the Big Bash. He's got he picked up his third Why
1: does he always bat really well at the start and towards the end of it, he's just like, yeah, no, I'm tired (laughs)
2: now. Oh, he had had runs the whole way through. I just think we get caught up in how amazing he is when he has those big innings. But he was always sort of well above the the strike rate. Did his job. He's going after the ball early. Got a start. Would have liked some bigger contributions towards the end. But I don't ever think that he sort of just forgot how to bat. I think there were times he just, you know, it's the nature of being an aggressive T20 opener is sometimes you're going to sky one up in the air and get out for mm. not many. Um, Matt Short also for the Adelaide Strikers, a breakout season for him with bat and ball, would open the batting and bowling quite a lot. And he ended up being the fourth leading run scorer on, on just shy of 500 runs for the series, uh, a strike rate of 155 with uh, 350s. Yeah, he's a very handy 2020 player. He's very versatile.
0: Um, um, he bowls some good off spinners that don't spin. Um, They're the best guys, and they haven't worked it <laughs> they haven't worked it out yet. I think he does. He must get drift. He must get a a. Well, I drift. get. I get drift. He should be able to get drift. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and um, turn. One of the players. Well, there were two particular players that I'm very impressed and very excited about moving forward into the Sheffield Shield season because I'm hoping that this sort of exposure and. Um, being able to score some runs at this level will mean that they're confident moving forward into the Shield season is um, one of them being Jason Sanger from the Thunder. The Sausages. Um, mm-hmm. he, uh, he came out, oh, I think he missed the first three games, and it wasn't until um, that uh, oh, there were some injuries that came in, and he, oh, he came in about at the three. Yeah. And then a couple of games after that, um, he ended up captaining the squad. and <laughs> He had a phenomenal series, 445 runs, a top score of 91 not out, Averaged 49, uh, strike rate of 130, 350s, handy leg spin at times as well. He's really announced himself as a, a player, a real candidate uh, for a player of the future. I mean, he was on the, on the scene a little while ago. He captained the under 19 World Cup side. Uh, I think he scored a, a, an Australia A 100 against England. And they were talking about him being the next Ricky Ponting, and then he sort of hasn't quite made that consistent leap into shield cricket. Though we did see him yeah, score hundred, so yeah, it was pretty good uh, in Wollongong, which was a great innings. And I think now he's come out on the on the, the big stage at the Big Bash. All the lights are on, all the cameras are on him. Um, everyone talking about his game, and he's you know a young man, 21 22 and he's really stood up strong, captained his his side well and um, he yeah, really announced himself as a, a potential player for for the future. I wouldn't even be upset. I'm not suggesting that this is any way feasible, but I wouldn't be upset if Australia went for a real smoky and picked him on the tours to Sri Lanka and India, being that he is a, a young up-and-coming batsman who can bowl some leg spin just to you know yeah. just to get him in the squad, see what he's all about. I don't think he's in any danger of actually playing they've, a they've test. They've already
0: picked the squad
2: for Sri Lanka, have they not? Uh know that's for the T20s against I'm talking about right. the tour to Sri Lanka later on in the year. Oh right. Okay. Um yeah. cuz uh, yeah he's a decent middle order batsman. He's obviously a, a really great young cricketing mind got lots of skill sets that would be handy over in those conditions. He, and might, I, he might need to work on his fitness, but yeah, he's, he's um, right. But I, I don't think that he's in any danger of that for this tour. But I wouldn't be upset. I wouldn't be sitting there going, what? How could you do that? Like, it could be just a sort well, of Why would you leave out Jimmy Anderson? Investing in the, uh, in, in the future, because I think he's going to be a, a really good player for Australia in the years to come. And the other one is Curtis Patterson, who's been a much maligned player in the Big Bash and never really found a home consistently.
1: No.
2: Um, and then through some injuries and unavailabilities, um, he's found himself at the top of the order for um, the the Scorchers and came back with 390 runs at a strike rate of 142 with 450s. And though we're big fans of Curtis Patterson, um thought he should have been playing in the 2019 Ashes after that uh, strong start against Sri Lanka in the Tests down in uh, Brisbane and Canberra. But he's never really appeared to be a guy that's really a a dasher and then he's come out and just absolutely punished anything short, couldn't bowl short to him at all, and just played really classical cricket shots and just went through with it. That was the thing, though. You had
1: people down the other end belting the Christ out of it over, you know, Cow Corner, and he played a beautiful cover drive. It was, and the, the commentators really didn't sort of give it justice. It was unbelievable. It just wrote, it just textbook. Did it go over the top of Fielders? Or did no, it, go th- it went
2: through. The- That's why. Oh, Big bash commentators, near here. Um, then, yeah, so there's some really great standouts there. And then, obviously, well, before I get into the negatives, because I've got a few negatives about this season, let's put this out there first. This was not an easy year. For the Big Bash. No. It was very hard to get everything right as an administrator for the Big Bash. But that being said, there is just someone, just some things that they should have got right that they didn't get right. There's just too much boardroom, focus group sort of stuff, and not enough making the common sense decision. So I already had concerns over the Big Bash at the beginning of the season when they talked about implementing a bowler-free hit. Now, for those of you that aren't aware of this, the implication was it was a way to speed up the game between batsmen being dismissed. There was a a 75-second limit the bats. but Normally, it's two minutes, but they reduced it to 75 seconds. You had to be at your crease in 75 seconds. Now, they had reduced it to a minute last season, but the umpires were not really policing it. This year they came out and said, we are policing it if you take more than 75 seconds. Enact, this will enact this rule. Is that to get onto the field? To get to the crease. Oh, geez, that's a bit rough. Well, they've had five or six batsmen padded up ready to go. You just got to run out. Like, I, that's yeah, 75 them, seconds is. They're not coming they're from the the pavilion. Yeah, they're, no, all, they're coming no, no, from no, no. The, the, the dugout. dugout yeah. <laughs> but rather than just timing the batsman out and moving on with the game, their their plan was to stop the game entirely, and the batsman would have to wait. I assume like next to the square leg umpire, and the bowler would run in. And bowl at the stumps, an empty, unoccupied stumps. And if he bowls you, that was it. You were out. That was your being timed out, and you had to go off, and the next batsman come on. So their answer yeah. to speed the game up was to implement a rule that if such a circumstance happened, they would stop the game entirely, and the bowler would just run in and have a that's three right. shot that's, at the that's stumps. That's Could you garbage. imagine if something happened and Glenn Maxwell was dismissed that way, or um, you know, a, uh, Alex Hales as an opener? But like some of the really big marquee names. A oh, Mitch, uh, Mitch Marsh, for example, somehow uh, got. Uh, it's just so. Can you imagine the the amount of they're trying to change boardroom officials, it's cricket. Like they would have had teams of people going over plans. Like this would have been a committee meeting, board this meetings, was focus. This is groups. our
0: um, this is our hypothetical uh, air conditioned room that we were yeah. talking about at the
2: top. There would have been lots of <laughs> effort going into this yeah. for a rule that would have. Would never have happened if, if, if uh, you go and tell the teams 75 seconds or they will be timed out. There is no wiggle room. We are policing it. If, if you take 75.1 seconds, out. There's absolutely no chance that a team would have someone take more than 75 seconds to get to the crease. They'd have four or five batsmen ready to go, and if someone had, I don't know, tripped over and sprained his wrist or whatever it was, needed to go to the toilet, they would have just sent the next person out. There was no chance yeah. it ever going to happen. But they still went, soldiered through and went to the trouble of creating this rule, having a media release for this rule and really making it a big deal. And it's just – it's not what people want. And then you get to the back end of the tournament, and this is the thing that the really controversial part for me was the Sixers who were riddled with injury, riddled with COVID, trying to get Steve Smith, who was suddenly available because the one-day internationals against New Zealand weren't going ahead, and they wouldn't put him into the game. Like, what utter nonsense. They, they did have – Nathan Nathan Lyon was there and, you know. The big difference is Steve Smith went to the Sixers at the beginning of this season and said, do not sign me because I will play the tests and then I will play the one-days. I won't have any room to get back to the side, whereas Nathan Lyon wouldn't play in the one-days. Yeah. So would have been available and other players like that. So spend the money on a young kid coming up through that you can have a real good look at. There's no sense taking up a roster spot for me yeah. when I'm not going to be there. And then, out of nowhere, COVID hits. New Zealand can't come over. Steve Smith's now available. The the BBL has been criticised for ages that it's never had its best players in the tournament all the time. And you finally got arguably the best batsman in the country ready to go and red tape gets in the way. Like, it's just Uh, utter nonsense. hmm. I saw Backlash going, well, it's not fair to the other side because if he was in the replacement player pool where everyone had access to them, which was a rule made up midway through the season, so (laughs) the whole uh, we've got to make sure that there's integrity in the rules sort of thing is um, a little bit far-fetched because you're making it up as you go. But they're acting like these players, it's like a computer game where you just click the player and it signs with your team. Like, it's not the case. If he was ready to go... Person would go, we want you to play for us. And Steve Smith would go, no. no. Melbourne would come up and go, Smudge, we want you to come play for us. Uh, no. And then the Sixers would come and he'd sign with them. <laughs> He's the guy who's only ever played for the Sixers. He's captain the Sixers. No one was missing out by Steve Smith oh, being is... parachuted in. God. And it's just... Red tape, mate. It's ridiculous. And it's just in a you, in a case yeah.
0: where there's we needed in parach- parachuting in like Mo with that massive fan in the to rescue home from You've got to get a Simpsons there I know. I reversal, know Gerger. exactly. Yeah.
2: Oh, and it's just yeah, it just boggles <laughs> the mind. And all these people going, yeah, he wasn't signed. Too bad. You're missing the point. This is a season that has been rocked by COVID. I mean. Some of those games that we had where there was just players that were plucked out of grade cricket making up two-thirds of the side. You can't can't tell me that's good for the game. And Steve Smith, Steve Smith not being in the side is also good for the game. Like, you, you just... It's not a massive, like it's not a massive deal to let Smith play for the Sixers. He played for him last year. He never would have played for anyone else. It should have been the easiest decision ever. Steve Smith's now available. Can we get some wiggle room on the rules and let us sign him last minute? Yes, no. Bang, there you go. Could you imagine if it was Verrat Coley that came up and said, Oh yeah, I've got some free time, I'm planning on coming over and spending my summer holidays in, in Australia. Uh, any chance of a big bash gig? you reckon they would have said no to Virat Coley? Uh uh-huh. Fine leg to fine leg. I put him on team. It's just, it's just silly, and then, and then things like the stars having to, to play games riddled with COVID, but then other teams would get postponed. Yeah, just it was a scorchers game postponed. For every good thing the Big Bash does, it trips over its own feet later on, and I think that um, this is a moment they've really got to start. Really thinking about it because oh. Peter Siddles come out now and said it's too long, yeah. adding to the chorus of other players and officials and commentators that say it's too long. And anyone that watches it, it's All too long. All the fans, long. the most of the feedback from the fans is it's too long. Rashi Khan has come out and said that it's too long and he'd really like to play the whole <laughs> tournament.
0: And, like, like, this is, like, that's really, this is
2: where he's made his name. Yeah. So if he's his saying – Like these domestic franchise T20 comps is yeah. what butters his bread and he's now oh, biting the hand that feeds him a little <laughs> bit. Like if how many more times do they need to be told your product isn't working properly before they actually take that on board and do something? Because it's now getting to the point where it's just doggedness to now it's almost negligent. Because when you're getting because at end of every year, it's the same thing. There's a chorus of players that will come out and say, it's a good tournament, but it probably stand to be shorter. Commentators coming out, it could be shorter. So I think and when you're looking at the TV rights deals and or the TV uh, attendant, the viewership and the ground attendance, since they've you know expanded it out to what 50 plus games, Everything's been slowly trending down, and it's been trending down towards the back end of the tournament. I mean, mm-hmm. Melbourne, for example, like to talk about themselves as being sport nuts and want to go and watch everything. Did you see Marvel Stadium yeah. during the final? It was empty. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and this is like, this is where Melbournians, if it's on, we'll watch it. Lawn bowls, yeah, we'll fill out a stadium. And then they like, couldn't be bothered <laughs> to come to the premier. Well, they like to talk about themselves as the BBL like talking about themselves as the second best franchise tournament in the world, which is... Not the case, uh, but if you're going to be the second best and you can't even get as in the second best cricket franchise tournament, yeah. oh, okay. so yeah, out yeah. of the IPL, right. uh, okay. BBL, Nat T20 class, yeah, I mean, you know, you I wouldn't even say they're in the top three. <laughs> I would think at the moment, you have probably got to think it's IPL, um, the bank, uh, the um. Uh, the Pakistan Premier League looks awesome. I don't know yeah. if you guys have been watching any of that, but it's looked really solid. And I'm probably with the NatWest Twenty Blast is probably the, mm.
0: the no, next. I one. The
2: K- I, re- I think we're on level with the Caribbean yeah. Premier League. Uh, I, I, I like, actually think they're probably the, better than us and the American Premier League. Surely <laughs> the minor league cricket. It was good, man. There was the some. <laughs> there was some. There was some good stuff in that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think this is the point. You know, t all these. Like TV deals are going to be looking at that going, well, you guys have been on a downward trend for the last like four or five years and that, that's that's where money starts to dry up. You're not going to be able to fleece them from much more cash because you're looking at that going, well, you're not attracting as much of a viewership as you were, so here's less money. And the Big Bash is the the golden goose of Australian cricket. It's, you know, paying for stuff. So they've got to yeah. really look after it. And I think that there's a lot of fatigue in this tournament um, people are getting less and less interested. in. Like, I used to watch as as close to every game as I could and as close to every game as I'd be allowed to by my significant other without getting into trouble. But there were times this year where a game was on and I'm just like, I've got no interest in that game.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. it's a little bit like, I, I watched the one last night but I'm not going to watch tonight's one.
2: It's, I'll, it's... I'll watch the KO Mini on that in the morning. Yeah, but... It'll take me 15 minutes to watch it sort of thing so I have something to talk about. Like,
1: I I reckon Monday... Wednesday, Friday, double header on Saturday.
2: That's the week done. Well, that's always a big argument I've had when it comes to our local football codes here in Australia is that they smash it all out over the weekend and you're sort of burnt out with football by Sunday afternoon. You're like, wow, that was hard. I've watched so many games of footy. And then, (laughs) you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, roll around, and you're like, man, I can't wait for the footy to start this weekend. You get time to miss it. Um, Admittedly, (laughs) it's difficult because... They've got to strike a balance because all these tournaments run every day because you can't afford to have it on the weekend because these imports are bouncing around to various different yeah, tournaments. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, they, they've got to do something. They've got to. Uh, I, I think there there was a report saying they're finally going to be looking at things like that, and I think that's really important for the Big Bash that they've, to safeguard their own future. They they've got to acknowledge that what's going on now isn't necessarily working as well as it should and they need to be identifying ways to move forward and ways to move forward aren't bringing in a super sub or like a... No super sub. No bloody
1: halftime drinks break. It's 20 overs. I'm in my 40s and we... Play seventeen before we have a drink, and yes, I'm not as athletic as they
0: are. Yeah, you are also not having someone run a drink to you every no, five overs. No, they? they've no. all got drinks around. If you're fielding on the boundary, you're, you're having a drink every over. And it's the thing is, like, it's just it's it's ridiculous. It just stop it.
1: It's all all, all about uh, half time break, jam as many ads as we can in there,
2: and go from there. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a marketing ploy, so you can buy commercials. Uh, I don't know the best way to fix it. Ideally, I think you're right. I think a weekend tournament, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, smash the games out then. And like the football, like football has been successful in Australia. Like it's predominantly played on the east coast, rugby league, and it's yeah. one of the better TV deals. Even AFL, I have, but even yeah. like they're two of the the biggest selling sports in Australia. Our national rugby league and the Australian Football League, they play. Admittedly, it's a longer time. There's less constraints in terms of you know trying to fit it in over a short period so players can come and go as they please. But that format works is smash it over the weekend, let everyone have time to miss it, and then smash it over the weekend, and you sort of stretch out the fatigue. Again, that's not ideal because you're trying to then get imports over and there's like a week where they're not playing cricket. And So I don't know the best course of action, but what I do know, what is happening now, has been screaming to the Big Bash, or Bash organisers for a Years now, this isn't what the people want. I used to, I used to think, oh, when's the next Big Bash game? And you would look and
1: oh, it's it's, it's on Wednesday. And, you know, today's Monday. Oh, yeah, I can't. I'm going to watch that. That looks good. But now it's just like, oh God. <laughs> I don't. I to watch that? Enough.
0: Yeah, you, you're like you know that it's on. It's not even like I'll watch it because it's on. It's like, I wonder what else is on. <laughs>
1: yeah, it 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 really is. <laughs> and
2: and. Uh, well, that being said, there are, have been some absolutely phenomenal games this year. It's not all yeah, doom yeah. and gloom, but I think that the, the stretching it out, I think it's – they think more – the, the organisers think giving people more of it is what they want, and they don't. They just want a quality product. Yeah, but it's watered down now. That's mm. the problem. And it's – yeah. You know, you don't eat birthday cake every day. Mm. If you like birthday cake on your birthday – but you don't want to eat it breakfast, lunch and dinner every day. Ooh, so, you know, that's one of the cases where more of a good thing is not necessarily the best thing. And I think that's something they need to identify here with the big bash. And I don't know the exact way of doing it because there's a lot of logistics in terms of player availability and all that sort of stuff that they've got to work into it. And you've obviously got the Sheffield Shield that's got to play with around it, so you can't then stretch the tournament out too long, but maybe there's a case that the tournament can play concurrently with. Other forms of... You need
1: to do something else because what you're doing is not working. Yeah. <laughs> Love Australia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, overall, I think it was a, it's a pass mark just for the Big Bash. Just. That's, but they, they did because a lot... of the players. <laughs> they did a lot wrong. The organisers did a lot wrong. Even though it was a hard year to be an organiser, they, like, they dropped the ball quite a few times. But there, there's some really uh, really great moments in the series. Any of you guys have any particular moments that uh, really stood out to you as being... Uh, Hay- Hayden Kerr for the Sixers. The
1: semi-final. Yeah. But not, yeah, that was He, a really was, he was a nobody. Because I turn, I remember turning the team around and going, who the hell is this bloke and where's Josh Rillipi? And COVID. after he'd scored 92, yeah. I'm like, yeah, he, he, he goes all right from yeah. nowhere.
0: So, yeah. I've I've got to say, uh, one of the, ho- the there's been some good crowd catches this year. Um, the one that I remember was quite early on in the tournament. It, it was at the SCG, and I can't remember who hit hit it. It might have been Josh Phillippe, but there was this guy in a leather jacket who just caught it like it was his job <laughs> every day. I think was I that, remember that just, one. Was, was that again. the first How game? First like?
2: game of the season I think where we were getting money for the Sixes? For oh the, the, the yeah, it was six, something right? like that. that yeah, critical? yeah.
0: The guy just was like, oh yeah. Got the leather jacket, dressed up like the Fonz. Caught yeah. it,
2: him. done. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I think mine is just for being an iconic just sort of easily like photo video grab for how good the tournament can be was that uh, Fraser McGirt catch on the boundary where he's oh. that, that running mark style catch right on the rope. Yeah. And I think that was the first game of the season too and I was just like you cannot like you couldn't script a better a highlight no. for a highlights package for your tournament. That was awesome. It was one of the best catches ever. Glenn Maxwell took a great one just over his shoulder where he just sort of stuck the mid out and just landed his hand, mm. which was when it's we're looking at it. Sort of Jordan Silk style. Yeah. No, it wasn't yeah. even that. He just sort of was running. He didn't sort of just sort of like a little leap, it wasn't even an athletic leap, just stuck his and it just fell into his hand. Yeah. Like it wasn't as exciting as the Jordan Silk catch or the Fraser McGirt catch, but it was Arguably even more difficult, but doesn't quite yeah. translate to that super exciting it, it highlight. Sounds a
0: bit like that fatty Vorton catch, uh, <laughs> yeah. often. <out> <laughs> okay.
2: But uh, that yeah, that for uh, me, I just it it was really great. Great young player taking a super athletic catch on the boundary. It was really impressive. I mean, there's so many other things. The big twin McDermott hundreds, back to back games. Yeah. Um, I think the second one was the most impressive one, where he was actually it was a tough start. The ball was nipping around, and they bowled really well. They took a few early wickets, and McDermott was going at about a run ball for his first sort of fifteen or sixteen, and then just went cool. All right, I figured out what the pitch is doing now. Bang, 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 hundred. Mm. Thanks, guys. Thanks for playing. Super coach captain that week. So, uh, Peter yeah. Peter Siddle took the most wickets. Yeah, is yeah, that right? Ah, uh, yeah, Siddle was the leading wicket taker. Um, he's still he's going to go around again. He's
1: the old yeah. old banana man. Screams again. He yeah. he hasn't lost anything except probably pain. <laughs> you know.
2: <Probably> about twenty <laughs> kilometres. <gonna> <laughs> um. Yeah. But, but so yeah. Siddle, he took thirty wickets. Uh, Hayden Kerr. We're all talking about him for his um. Yep. Uh, he's ninety, but he actually was the second leading wicket taker with twenty five wickets at fifteen, and uh. Like to give a shout out to to someone who probably didn't get quite uh, enough attention. You know, he had quite a lot of attention last year, and then it's quite easy for a young player that's jumped on the scene, has no one's rarely seen him before, does a good job to really sort of fall back to the pack. But uh, Tan V Sanger, I felt, was um, sort of his sophomore year was just as impressive. 16 wickets uh, at 17, went at 6.8 runs, which is, I think, there's only two. Two players who've taken more wickets at a better economy than him, and he was, you know, your attacking leg spinner. One of them was Rashid Khan, who is like yeah, the one poster the boy the world, for yeah. for T20 bowlers, and the other was, hang on, Actually, I think that's it. Um, oh, Ben Dwarshis, boy. .05 oh, how good of, was, of how, an economy rate. He's a great batsman. Oh, yeah, how good was that? Oh, Should have brought that up. He's 100 that he got um, oh, in a valiant attempt to try and save the game. Oh, that was amazing. Well, the Sixers got themselves into quite a few sort of scraps where they were looking like they had no business winning it. Yeah, they always do. do? They, they got they the heat out for 105 and then nearly tripped over trying oh, to chase yeah. it down until Abbott and yeah. and Co got him yeah. up home at the end. So, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, it's a tournament that's slowly growing on me and for other reasons other than just because I play Big Bash Supercoach. Yeah. But uh, it's now they've got to the point where you're almost at critical mass. You're getting to the point now where you're getting some quite prominent players really commenting on the structure of your tournament and they need to be proactive here. Yeah, And, um, and with the issues with COVID as well, I think they need to be a bit flexible in terms of player availability. Uh, uh, they can't have the Steve Smith problem happen again. They need to go away from the drawing board and put in a loophole in the rules that allows Australian test players if they suddenly become available to play. Oh, it, it
1: just won't happen again. Like if, if, if Steve Smith will sign for them, and there'll be some clause in his contract that you know they he, they sign him for a dollar, and if he plays
2: any games, it's this, match payments or something. Yeah. Like, but yeah, um, yeah, if it's even if, like you nominate test players that are going to be unavailable and they don't take up a roster spot. Until they play, yeah. So you get to the point where okay, Steve Smith suddenly become available. You now have to drop someone from your, mm. you know, some bench player that hasn't got on the field yet from your squad to make up for it. But yeah, there just there has to be some infrastructure in place that allows players yeah. like that who have looked at the schedule and went, "There's no way that I'm going to play, so I'm not going to bother." Uh, oh wow, actually, New Zealand cancelled hey, I've got some weeks free, I'm ready for a game, and they go, nah, sorry, look at the rule here, mate, can't play. That can't happen again. That, that's it's No one, no one except Scorchers fans think that that was the way that should have been run.
1: One of my mates is a Scorchers fan, and he said it's wrong. Steve Smith should be there.
2: Like, Anything. other tournaments are just sitting there just gobsmacked, laughing at us, going, how is a tournament that almost never has the big names from your test side playing... Saying no to Steve Smith like it's just yeah. ridiculous. Cool. Well, I think that will uh, wrap up our episode. I think we've yeah. uh, covered everything we need to cover. Yep. Yeah. It's Might been be. it's been good. I think by the time we record again next time, the ODIs for the women's Ashes will be done, so we can hopefully be holding two urns and not just the one. Mm. And send England away with nothing. <laughs> oh, that's what that is, right? So far, all they've got is. Three, four draws between their men's and women's side and two of them have been washouts. Mm. All of them have been rain affected. Yay! (laughs) So, we're hoping for some dry weather and some excellent Australian cricket, and uh, we'll get away with two ashes, and then uh, I think the girls have got a World Cup to look forward to moving forward from there. Mm. So, we might have a chat about that. I think they've released the World Cup squad moving forward, so we'll have a look in and have a chat about that sometime soon, I'm sure.
1: Uh, Good luck to the under-19. Yeah, they've
2: uh, got their semi-final against India tonight. I think that their warm-up game, they got roundly spanked by the Indians, so hopefully they've uh, put that behind them and playing some good cricket, so... Be nice to win another, you know, add another World Cup to the uh, to the cupboard. We'll have to build a bigger cupboard at this point. Yeah, (laughs) big cupboard. (laughs) All right, guys, thanks very much. Thanks for listening. uh, And uh, until next time, bye for now. See you guys. Bye. Over. Sports Social Podcast Network.